James chapter 2, uh, we are going to be uh, beginning in verse 14 this morning. The sermon title is simply this, active faith, active faith, an activated faith. Um, the entire book of James is kind of dedicated to the thought of becoming a Christian who is uh, growing. And by growing, it means uh, growing into a mature Christian, uh, growing into a Christian whose works match up with what they say they believe, right? And today is no different as we will highlight possibly the key text in the book of James uh, that deals with this uh, this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and read together James chapter 2, um, beginning in verse 14. We're going to go down through verse 19 this morning. Scripture says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This morning, Keystone family, I would be doing you a disservice uh, to simply brush over these verses. Um, I would be doing you as a believer and a follower of Jesus who wants to uh, fully engage in the principles of God's word. I would be doing you a disservice today to skip a passage like this. Even though I got to be honest sometimes during these difficult passages and these, these texts of scripture uh, that are sometimes, uh, they, they pierce you, right? They, they're a little piercing. Um, I would love to be able to say, oh, we're going to move over to another portion of the book of James today. Uh, fortunately for you and for me, uh, our approach and philosophy at Keystone Church is that we preach through the entire book of the Bible. Uh, we want to make sure even the difficult parts uh, that we uh, at least address them. And, and, and as, a, as your pastor and leader, um, there will be times in Scripture where I may be presented a passage and I say, listen, i got to be honest with you. This one's got me thrown for a loop and, and I'm still working through it myself and that's okay. Uh, but this text today is one of those texts uh, that I could simply say, hey, you already know what we believe about this, and I'm just going to spend five minutes on it and brush through it real quick so I don't really have to deal with what it says. <clears throat> but this morning, we are going to deal with what it says. Why? Because I believe God's Word demands it. Um, I believe that it's in fairness to the writer of this book, James. I believe it's in fairness to the writer of many other New Testament books, Paul. I believe it's fair this morning that we take a, 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 an intense look at these verses. And this text can be very difficult. Um, this is one that I've not taken for granted as I've studied it. Um, I can say this, I've also tried not to come to this text with an unteachable spirit. As I've studied the book of James as a whole, the New Testament, and then this text... I want to come to it with a teachable spirit. I want God to teach me and the Holy Spirit. I want to be all ears as the Holy Spirit teaches me. And so today, we're going to talk about what it is, what it means to have an active faith or an activated 
uh, faith this morning. Let's pray together briefly and we're going to jump right into scripture. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We lift you up and magnify you today. Speak clearly through your word. Help it, help it to be uh, understandable. Uh, God, I pray that our hearts would be uh, transformed this morning because of the truth from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us to see, first of all, this morning, uh, very quickly, I want us to see the penetrating question. The penetrating question found in verse 14. The question simply says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? This is a, is a rhetorical question James is asking. It is a rhetorical question that lends itself to a negative response. Um, and James doesn't merely say this in this verse. He follows up in, in this chapter, uh, James chapter 2, and makes a similar claim in verse 24. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uh, let, me, let me say that again. Uh, because it, it makes me a little uncomfortable. Uh, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Can I say this morning, if we simply read those verses and we simply isolate those verses this morning, uh, we can come away with what would seem to be a contradiction to what Paul spent the majority of his time writing about as he wrote the book of Romans, as he wrote the letters uh, to the churches. And if we're not careful this morning, we can pull these verses out and we can say, listen, this is exactly what it says. Who are we to argue with these verses? And uh, this morning, I want to make sure that, that we give credence to these verses because it does seem to contradict. Let, let's be honest. It does seem to contradict uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 28. Uh, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, Paul says. Uh, what about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Then there are many, many others throughout Paul's writings in the New Testament that it seems as if it's contradictory. And, and may I say this, Paul makes it abundantly clear that our redemption is by faith alone. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Our salvation, our conversion, our redemption, our faith, our, our, our salvation is by faith alone. The grace of God. So this seems as if this could be an area of scripture where we could get confused. It may seem that James is somewhat contradictory uh, to Paul. And may I say uh, this morning, um, we must consider one word. We must consider one word. And that word is context. We must consider the word context when we study passages of Scripture that may be difficult for us to understand. Uh, that word context, uh, it, it bears with it... Uh, a, a real true understanding of what the author's original intent was with the lens of the entire redemptive story of the Bible in front of us. We want to find out why James wrote these words, 
why Paul wrote these words and how they fit together in the overall redemptive story of Scripture. It is extremely important. Context always matters. When we rip a verse of Scripture out of its context, uh, we can go down a long road of false teaching, a long road uh, uh, that could lead us completely out of the faith. And so I want to warn you this morning that we want to stay in context. Do you remember back when we began eight weeks ago our series in the book of James? We wanted to make sure that we knew and we, uh, th- that we made a big deal about who the book of James was written to. Do you remember that? Uh, it, it was written to the Messianic Jews, those Jews who had converted to Christianity and then were dispersed throughout the known world at the time. And James was the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem, and he was sending this writing, this letter to those Jews who were dispersed, those Messianic Jews, those Jews who had converted to Christianity, and sending this letter uh, to them. So we could say this this morning, that Paul's focus on faith alone in his writings was highlighting before a conversion. And we could say this morning that James addressing this letter to the Messianic Jews, addressing this chapter to my brothers, we can say this morning that James's focus is after conversion. Because he's speaking to believers. Uh, Douglas Moo put it this way. uh, Paul denies any effectiveness to pre-conversion works. So Paul says pre-conversion works have no effect. But James is pleading for the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. Did you grasp that? I'm going to say it one more time. Paul denies any effectiveness to pre-conversion works, works before salvation or or works that will result in salvation. But James is pleading for the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. Those are works that come as a result of our faith. I think that's a great way of putting it. I think that's a very uh, easy to understand and, and grasp way of putting it there. While Paul was fighting against a heavy tradition that promoted a false work salvation. You remember Paul, in all the epistles, he was fighting uh, the Judaizers adding works to salvation all the time, the, legalize, the legalists. He, they were adding works to everything. Paul was fighting against that. And so Paul was fighting against that heavy tradition of like, you must work this work in order to be saved. But James is now fighting against a light faith that would somehow say that Uh, Jesus Christ came into your heart and your life and somehow minimized the necessity of displaying that in our works. It's as if instead of contradicting one another, it's as if Paul and James are complimenting each other. Instead of this verse leading us down the road for the next four or five verses of of a supposed contradicting statement... We can now look at these verses, I believe, contextually within Scripture, we can look at these verses and say, Paul laid a foundation of our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. 
And James is now taking that foundation and he is building upon that foundation with some teaching about our works and why they matter. And this morning, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of the fact that what you do does matter. Don't be afraid of that. That is not a legalistic teaching this morning. It's a biblical teaching. It's not legalism to say that we ought to do some things if we are truly followers of Christ. It's not legalism to say that we should not do some other things if we're to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. For if we are a true follower of Jesus Christ, our hearts will be moldable. Our hearts will be, will be uh, easily uh, shifted towards what Jesus would have us to do and what Jesus would have us not to do in our works this morning. So to summarize this first point with this question that James asked, James is saying that a saving faith is a working faith. James this morning is using some convicting language to these Jews. By the way, some of these Jews could have claimed Christianity verbally. And James may just be preaching to them saying, let's make sure that you truly are a believer. It would be similar to me, once again, possibly with James here, speaking to brothers and sisters, Messianic Jews. It could be that James gets up like I would on a Sunday at Keystone and say something like, listen, if, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you are not displaying the fruit of the Spirit in your life and the Holy Spirit is not working in you and changing who you are, then you might want to go back and make sure that you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. In a nutshell, that's what James is saying. James is saying this, hey, hey listen, if you truly are a believer, this is the way you ought to act. And by the way, if you say you're a believer and you're not acting this way, you may very well not be one. And that's what James is saying this morning. It's that question that he asks. It's a difficult question. It is a penetrating question. It is a question that you and I don't necessarily like to be uh, confronted with. But secondly, moving right along in our text this morning, we see the convicting illustration. The convicting illustration this morning. Look at the next verse, verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is dead. James continues to drive home his point. James does a masterful job of giving a truth, providing an illustration, and closing it with the truth. Almost like a sandwich. By the way, I'm hungry. Uh, taking the truth, providing the meat of an illustration, and putting the truth there at the end. He brings out the illustration of a believer who would ignore the needs of his brothers and sisters uh, without any conscience. Just seeing the need of a brother and sister and, and, and acknowledging that need intellectually but nothing transforming this believer enough to actually physically do something about that need. 
to see an obvious need and to not act on that need is more evidence possibly that James is saying that your faith is dead. Your faith is not active. Your faith has yet to be activated. It may be disingenuous faith. It may be fake faith this morning. It's James's way of saying that we need to make sure that the Christianity we claim is real in our lives. By the way, acts of mercy this morning are not a means to salvation. Jesus never requires us to show these acts of mercy to earn our standing. However, they are an evidence of salvation. Acts of mercy are not a means to salvation, but they truly definitely are an evidence of salvation. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13, uh, verse 35. He says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, Jesus says, I'm about to tell you how everyone else is going to know that you are my follower, that you are my disciple. I'm about to tell you, are you ready? And the disciples and the people are gathered, wonder what he's going to say. He says, by this shall people know. Here's how they're going to know. If you have love for one another. If you, believer, have love for one another. And some people could argue uh, that, that he is specifically talking about if you believers have love for other believers. Hey, that's great. Other people would say he's talking about everyone. Hey, if you believers have love for one another, the greater one another. Hey, either one of them. If we have love. And love is not merely the words that we say. We all know this. Love is displayed in our actions. Not just in what we say this morning. Don't tell me how authentic your faith is this morning if you ignore the brothers and sisters around you that have needs. Don't tell me this morning how, how active your faith is, how genuine or authentic your faith is this morning if you can walk by someone that has a specific need that you have the ability to meet and you refuse and you walk away as those in the story of the Good Samaritan did, right? Uh, don't tell me this morning that, that your faith is authentic and you're in it and you're in it to win it and you're, you're a follower of Jesus 110% and you don't have love for one another. This morning, James gives an illustration that should convict us. It convicts me. It convicts me. And can I say this morning, may we be people that, listen, if you're a brother and sister, whether you're a believer or you're my other brother and sister in the world, you've got nothing but love from me. Hey, I've got your back. Listen, you need something, I've got you. Hey, there's a, there's a need in your life, there's something I can do to meet that need, hey, you let me know, it's taken care of. This convicting illustration this morning, this convicting illustration that we must all be faced with. And lastly, thirdly, I want us to see this, the appropriate theology. The appropriate Theology. Look at verse 18. I lied. I got one more point after this. It's okay. It's okay, Brian. Don't get frustrated with me. Verse 18 says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Basically, someone comes up and says, listen, okay, you say it's by, by faith. I say it's by works. Whatever. James says, you show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. 
James illustrates, I believe, an important teaching that we must understand. And we have mentioned this a couple of different times in this eight-week series. James, I believe, here is differentiating between our justification in the sight of God and our justification in the sight of man. I believe that James is saying here that we are justified vertically by grace alone through faith alone. I believe James is saying here we are justified horizontally by our works and the way we display our faith in a tangible way. I believe James is saying here that Jesus Christ came and Jesus Christ paid the penalty of sin for us and our salvation is through Jesus 110%, all of him and none of me, amen. And our justification vertically in the sight of God is by grace through faith alone. But our justification to our fellow man, our justification to our community, our justification to our friends and, and to our family, we are justified in their sight by the acts we display, the transformational life that we live as a result of our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. Now listen, we've, we've been doing this. It's this, it's my relationship with Jesus, and it's my relationship with others. Hey, it's, it's, it's reaching up to him and, and being held by him and reaching out to others. It's, it is understanding the theology of who he is and by grace through faith, and it's understanding the practicality and how to live it out. The book of Ephesians, remember? The first three chapters is all about the theology of, of Jesus and resting in him and grace and faith, and the last three chapters are all about how do we display that faith in a tangible way way horizontally to those around us, our community, our friends, our family. This morning, it's an important truth that we must understand. James says simply, I'll show you my faith by the way I live. Hey, I'll show you my faith by my works. To simply put a quote, we are justified in the sight of God by faith alone, but we are justified in the sight of man through works which, we, which have been produced by that faith, period. Lastly this morning, I want us to see the transforming conclusion. The transforming conclusion, and if you're still with me this, excuse me this morning, stay with me. If you've made it this far, hang on for the end, please. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Or other translations may say tremble. You say, hey James, I don't have the works to back up my faith. I don't live a transformed life that the gospel brings. I don't really care about loving and caring for others. I don't really care. But hey, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. Yeah, I believe in him. Yeah, sure. And James says, even the demons believe. And they shudder. The conclusion I want to give us this morning is simply this. Faith is not merely an intellectual achievement. It's not merely head knowledge. Faith this morning is not a book that we read and we come to the end of it and we say, 
okay, I've grasped this book. I am now knowledgeable of this book. I now have a, an intellectual comprehension of the truth of this book. See, faith is not merely an intellectual achievement in the head. Faith is, secondly, a heart transformation. You see, what's the difference between a James chapter 2 verse 19 Christian? You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. What's the difference? The difference is one who, who knows and has the knowledge, the head knowledge, the intellectual ability to understand the words of the gospel. But then that true believer, that believer that says, hey, I'll show you my faith by my works. That true believer, that, that Galatians, by the way, Paul and James, uh, Romans chapter 6, Paul. Galatians chapter 3, Paul, both speak about works like crazy. In fact, should we live as, as though we want to because we're under grace? Certainly not, Paul says. Sorry for the rabbit trail real quick. But back, at the end of the day, the difference between just head knowledge and heart transformation. Listen, that is salvation. The difference, the 18 inches from your head to your heart. Many people never can make that 18 inch journey you see true belief and true faith and activated faith and active faith this morning is a faith that has traveled from your head and has transformed your heart it has traveled from your head and has transformed your heart and can i say this this morning i may be speaking to some people who grew up in church and you 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 ran around the nursery of church and you had your diaper changed by the nursery workers at church and you grew up in sunday school and you went to junior church and you were in youth group and now you're an adult and you may be a young adult or an older adult or a middle-aged adult and you've been playing this church game and you have all the head knowledge in the world you know everything you can present the gospel to people you've got the verses memorized you know it all in your head but for some reason between your head and your heart there's been a block for some reason between your head and your heart uh, the, the journey of faith has never made its way down to transformation and this morning I, I simply want to, to 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 ask you I simply want to 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 bring you to a point where you would acknowledge the fact that, hey, I may know it all intellectually, but the gospel has never transformed my heart. And here's how I know it. You know what? I don't display the fruit of the Spirit. Here's how I know it. You know what? I could care less about that person in need over there. I may say that I care, but deep down I know I don't. That faith has never made the 18-inch journey from your head into your heart. The last part of the conclusion, thirdly, is that act of faith involves humble obedience. Act of faith simply says, God, you said to do this. That's what I'm going to do. So here's the journey of faith that we all must take. Head to heart to humble obedience. Head to heart, to humble obedience. I wondered this morning where you are on that faith journey. Listen, if you've never made it from your head to your heart, listen, you need to surrender your heart to Jesus this morning. If your journey of faith has never made it from here to here, I simply ask you today, 
to surrender. I simply ask you today to remove whatever is blocking it. For the rich young ruler is that he would not sell his goods and feed the poor. What is it in your life that is hindering your head knowledge of the gospel to transforming your heart? I don't know where you're at on your faith journey, but I ask you this morning to surrender. Maybe this morning, hey, the head knowledge made its way to your heart, and man, there was a time in your life where you knew and the transformation, transforming power of the gospel was so alive and real and present in your life, but over the years, your humble obedience has kind of waned. Or your humble obedience is something you always look back to in the past, and it's not something that you are actively involved in. Christian believer, if that's you this morning and your, your humble obedience, maybe we need to recommit ourselves to being humble, obedient servants of the one who came and transformed our hearts. This morning, if you're watching, I don't care if you're, have you claimed membership at Keystone Church? I don't care if you're uh, serving uh, at another church and you just logged in for a little while today. I don't care if this is the first time maybe that you've logged on. It doesn't matter to me this morning. What matters to me is has the intellectual comprehension of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life, have you surrendered to that coming into your heart and transforming you? I say that to some people who've been going to church for decades. I ask you that question. I ask that question to someone who maybe has never attended church before. I ask the question, do you have an active and a real faith? And the answer this morning is, will you surrender? Will you surrender? Will you remove yourself and let God come in and completely transform your heart and your life? For when you get to that place of surrender, it is there and only there that Jesus will meet you. He loved the whole world. He died for the whole world. He will meet you and he will bring you into a personal and a real relationship with him. One that is obvious that your heart and life has been transformed. A relationship where, where people just know, hey, that person, man, there's something different. And people that know will say, man, God has done a work in their lives. Incredible. This morning, may I ask you to pray with me? Just right where you're at, just bow your head and close your eyes this morning and if you're here today and this is your first time logging on or maybe you've logged on every single week and maybe today you're, God is tugging at you. You don't know how to explain it, but God is tugging at you. And maybe you're that person this morning who you've known it and 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 known it, but you've never owned it. You've known it, but have yet to own it. This morning, would you surrender your heart to Jesus? Would you let him transform you? Would you let him be a real personal savior for you this morning? Hey, listen, I don't care about your brothers and sisters or your parents or your grandparents or, or the situation that you're in or, or your children. Listen, this morning, I'm talking to you individually, personally. This morning, would you own it? Surrender your heart to Jesus, he wants to transform your life this morning. If that's you here today, can I just help you? 
Uh, our church family, we're logged on right now. We would love nothing more than to celebrate with you this morning. Would you, in repentance and faith this morning, turn to Jesus? I'm not even going to lead you in a prayer this morning. I'm going to ask you where you're at to just come to Jesus with a simple prayer of repentance, acknowledging that you don't have it, acknowledging that you can't do it, turning from your sin and putting 100% of your faith and belief and surrender and trust into Jesus to transform your heart. He died on the cross to give you this opportunity. You say, what if I don't do this, Josh? I got to be honest with you this morning. If you don't do this, there's only one other option for you in eternity, and that is hell. A lot of people don't like to preach about that or mention that in their sermons. But it's a real place that, is cre- that was created for uh, the devil and for his demons. But those that are sinners will wind up there. But those who have been redeemed and whose hearts have been transformed by Jesus, hey, their eternity is with him. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you made that decision today for Christ and you gave him your heart and your life, would you send us a direct message? Um, just click the message that, there on our page, send it to us, or comment uh, below right now. Just let us know, hey, I prayed, I prayed and received Christ today. We'd love to celebrate with you. Church family, those that are believers, listen, show me your faith by your works. I dare you. Show me your faith by your works. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.